listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Chapter 5 Shadows of London I am the Black Shuck, the twilight streets stretching from Twickenham to Gallows Corner are my stalking ground. This city is a broken woman, beaten, battered and savagely violated, crying out for salvation through bloodied teeth, and only I hear her plaintive call. I prowl high above cobblestone streets, wet with rain and shining like the tears on a weeping woman's face. Every dark alleyway hides a thief or a murderer, burrowed in like, like burrowing insects. I watch them go about their foul night's work with hungry eyes. I wait for them to enact their unholy sins, and then I swoops in like a black angel of retribution, and I clobbers every one of them. Tonight I see a fine woman walking the street, her pale dress positively glowing in the moonlight, slender shoulders wrapped in a shawl, a basket of food under her arm, no doubt for her kindly but broken grandmama. Only a matter of time, thinks I, before this pretty maid is dragged into one of the oozing crevices in the stonework by one of the grubs that slides through the underbelly. I watch her walk and know she has only moments left of this fragile purity before it is taken from her. We walk for many streets until I am almost out of rooftop and have to scramble down to the gutter in order to pass to the next. This is my city. And yet, actually speaking, it's really quite inconvenient sometimes. You know, when you stalk in the night as its dark bringer of justice. Almost immediately, after about 20 minutes, she is approached by a stepney sub-creature. Lovely evening, miss. It certainly is. Spring is in the air. Retribution will not suffice tonight. If there is even the tiniest chance that the man down there will fall upon this maiden and drag her into the sewer, then I must act. It is the duty I swore at my parents when they was leaving London because of all them monsters. Knowing in my mind that her virtue stands upon the precipice, I swoops in from up on high, crushing the hooligan to the pavement beneath me hobnail boots. Get Get he screams in pain and tries to escape, but my reflexes are simply too fast. I clobber him with my fighting stick while the lady cowers in a puddle. I turn to her, my imposing frame shrouded in the shadows. I watch her with my eyes. You can go home now, miss. There's dodgy folk abroad. Thank you, sir. How can I repay you? Justice is its own reward. You're very kind. 
But if you really want to thank me, I suppose we can go down that alley there for a bit of how's your father, and then afterwards. There we are. Now don't worry, the twitching will stop in a bit. Orders. Yes, it's horrible, isn't it? Alright, I'm just going to bind your hands. You'll need your legs free so I can walk you to my carriage. And really don't struggle or try to- What have you done to me? Oh, this is a device of my own invention, Mr. Shuck. Its effects aren't permanently harmful, but you really don't want another jolt from it. Who are you? How did you know my secret weakness? Shush now. We're going to take a trip to the nice people at the Tower of London. You've been causing the watch quite a bit of exasperation. Once you make yourself more than a man, you becomes a legend. No, hey, come back here. Your legs aren't even working properly yet. Look, I'm just walking after you. It's not who I am under this mask, but who I am when I'm in the mask when- <laughs> oh, my legs! My legs! I can sense that you are going to be a peculiar nuisance to me tonight. I am the stalking black dog, arbinger of doom for the wrongdoer. Now, I'm just going to help this fellow down here. You gave him quite a nasty bump on the head there with that broom handle. Get up now, Sonny Jim. Are you tickety-boo? I'll live. But frankly, since you ask, I feel a bit more afraid to walk the streets. Fear! Fear is my weapon against the cowardly and the superstitious. Here's two gold pieces. Get a doctor to look at that, would you? Hmm? Bless you, Mum. Do you live near here? You're all right getting home? This is actually quite a rough area. Just round the corner. I'll be all right. Ta-ta! Hey! Why isn't anyone paying attention to me? Oh, I will. It's important you know just who handed you your wretched arse, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Mortimer. I've been hunting you for some time, and the bounty should just about pay for the sheer mind-bending annoyance of having to trap and transport you. Oh, he should have never trusted a woman. You weren't a defenseless virgin at all. You're a lying, vicious whore. That's disgusting language. Now let's get you to the Watchman, you narcissistic shitpile. No. No. No! Six days left. Gwendolyn and Viola stood in the courtyard of the palace in the morning light, surveying the lines of Duarte that proceeded through the front gates. Look, Viola, there's your next job for when you're done with me. Shut up, your highness. Captain Baltus said the head of the party of watchmen strode up, clad in full armor. Though it could not be seen, both Gwen and Viola knew that his hair matched the helmet above it, a black brush stripe down the middle of his crown a clipped black moustache, and a small square black beard on his chin gave the impression he had engaged in battle with a cartwheel that had traveled the circumference of his head, only for Baltus to emerge the victor. The marching watchman behind him halted and parted, and down the center of the line for Gwen to behold were four bargast, secured with iron rods and wire snares. They were straining at their bonds and gasping, eyes flicking back and forth across the assembled troops. Captain Baltus spoke curtly. 
We caught them sneaking around the streets of Croydon. With that, the Duarte watchmen holding the iron poles marched the frantic creatures over to the far side of the palace yard and secured all four to a metal contraption. The front gates had closed, but dozens of people who had been following the watch procession now crushed up against the railings, their eyes on the Bargast. One had lifted itself off the ground in an attempt to escape. One howled over and over. One was choking itself, straining at the wire, and the last slumped down immediately, clearly beyond the ability to fight anymore. Gwendolyn looked at the creatures. She had seen their like before several times and knew exactly what was coming next, but usually they frightened her. There was still that unsettling feeling from the movements, their lithe, animalistic bodies, those orange eyes, and the sounds they were making. But when she searched for the familiar hate, it just wasn't there. These monsters that had once been human were now a cause for pity. The firecasters lined up twenty yards from the Bargast, and as one unit readied both hands, two dozen glowing flames snapped into life with domino timing down the line. All of a sudden, a pang struck Gwendolyn, and she glanced down at Viola. Is there... can we... Shh. I'm just so tired watching this. Listen to your nursemaid, princess. This is man's work and entirely necessary. Do you mean to say you managed to catch all four of these rabid creatures with only thirty men? Sir, your bravery and acumen in battle is peerless. Tell the buffoon to fall silent. I do not like her tone. Viola, I implore you, don't fall silent, whatever you do. Fire! The firecasters flung out first their right hands, then their left. Two volleys of flame sailed through the air and entirely engulfed the creatures. The heightened, hysterical, anguished screaming lasted for 17 seconds. <laughs> In that time, Gwen had gone from a scowl to staving off angry tears. Her body shook. Captain Baltus turned to regard her. You see? Not one of my men is delicate. Not one of them fears violence. Not one of them would hesitate to act. We bow to your graciousness, your royal highness, and take pride that we can protect you and your lambs. Oh? And exactly what does it take to become captain of the Watch? A spotless career record, a drive to succeed at any cost, and an endowment which you do not possess, pretty thing. And what an achievement owning one of those is. Not having one entails that you should be birthing our next generation. I wonder why you linger here and do not set yourself to the duty of our noble females. Viola flushed crimson. Baltus sneered and marched past them, approaching the Archduke who was clapping as the charred skeletons of the Bargast collapsed into black ash. Viola whispered something and Baltus caught his foot on the ground, stumbling slightly. Oh dear, are you alright? I'm fine. Very good show, Captain Baltus. The people are pleased. We shall find the rest of the remaining infected and cleanse them all in time, Your Grace. Coriolanus let his grey eyes rest on the chattering crowd at the gates. Some were open-mouthed, some were cheering, some were crying. No rush. 
Besides, you have much to attend to on the streets of London. The hoods, the knives. They are making a mockery of these men you hold in such high esteem. You must tighten the noose around the boldest of them. Show these people what defiance truly entails. It shall be done, Your Grace. I'm sure it hasn't escaped your attention that last night a deeply embedded thorn in your side was plucked out at last. Only the Black Shuck was apprehended by a freelance bounty hunter and a female at that. I am aware of this turn of events. We have standards to maintain. Yes. Find the heads. Yes. And Gwendolyn. I trust you have not forgotten your appointment with Dr. Marcus this afternoon. I shall be there as you ask, Father. Though I must say, I rather like the sound of these hoods. I mean, they must be devilishly cunning that they can run rings on the watchman. A combination of blind luck and the treachery of the less desirable people of London. Make no mistake, the hammer of justice is poised above these hoods. Whatever the next nefarious deed is, it shall not go unpunished. Oberon threaded his way through the Hogwell smoke-stacked style factory. Without America to provide cotton, the British Isles had gone back to wool and linen. Wales and several of the middle counties were now enormous sheep farms, and flax was being grown up and down England. Sheffield provided the steel, Newcastle and Yorkshire the coal. Ships were departing for France and beyond every day, and everyone's intense relief, tea, was finally being brought in from India once more. There was even talk of making contact with the colonies. Once the Dwarf army was strong enough to contend with the potentially millions of Barghest, thought to be still running rampant over there. Next door was the Hogwell Smoats timber mill. Now the human workers had given way to Akka, and their muscular, many-hued frames were busy hauling and splitting the wood. Oberon paced between the whirling saws and clanking machinery until he reached the dock area and found a brawny fellow with green skin pulling logs from a barge. The archer's eyes glanced up and met his. A glimmer of recognition formed. Hello, Ajax. It's, it's me, Oberon. I'm a friend. The glimmer took hold, and Ajax nodded slowly, as the memories were unpacked. You doing okay here today, buddy? They're not pushing you too hard. Yes. Uh, uh, no. Oberon collared the human foreman. Evans, what hours is he pulling this week? Uh, hello, Oberon. He's been out 14 hours a day for the past week or so. That's too much. He needs more rest. Cut it to 11. You checking his pay? Absolutely. He's getting every hour accounted for. Did you break for lunch today? Um. He just got back. <laughs> I mean, he's just going. I'll bring him back in 30 minutes. Come on, friend. Let's go and eat. The two Akka sat on the bank of the Thames, devouring hunks of bread with meat drippings. 
Oberon quietly chewed and regarded the other, who stared off at the barges passing them by. I, um, saw a pretty big dog today. A bull mastiff. Ajax looked across, suddenly aware that Oberon was there, and nodded enthusiastically. You like that? You know what kind that is? Ajax drew a large hand up to his own face and traced the fingers over, indicating the darkened jowls of this breed. Oberon nodded back. Good, that's right. What's the biggest you've seen this week? Scottish Deerhound. Big? Three feet high. Yeah, that's pretty big. Is that the same one as last week? Ajax looked at him with a slightly pained expression. Yes. No. Probably. Are they still treating you well? You getting enough rest? I sleep enough. Good. You doing anything else while you're not working? Remember I gave you that whittling knife? At this, Ajax brightened and reached into his waist pouch, proudly pulling out a small, carved wooden dog. Kuvas. Kuvas? From Hungary. From Hungary. Biggest dog. Biggest dog. He laid it in Oberon's hand, and then gently closed the Akka's fingers around it. For me? Thank you, my friend. This is lovely. Um... Now I have to get back. You're coming with me. Ajax rose up, swallowing the last of his meal, and glanced down, a little surprised, as Oberon gave him a quick and rough embrace before leading his brother back to work. Gwendolyn was shown into the offices of Dr. Marcus. Everything was dark brown stained wood. Marcus was sporting a clipped moustache and hair slicked over to the left. He wore a smart three-piece suit with steel-rimmed spectacles, a fine gold pocket watch, and a beautifully carved cane of Australian snakewood. Ah, your royal highness, it's been far too long. Come in, sit down. Thank you. Now, have the pains intensified? A little, yes. And why have you been having them? Because I haven't been coming to see you. I really won't bite. Now, let's begin, shall we? Before we do... I'm not feeling well. Do you have a bucket nearby, just in case I... You are never sick in my office. I catch your problems very quickly. Now let's set to work fixing you, princess. I really do feel... Shh, 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 shh. let me work. Thirty minutes later, Gwendolyn emerged from the office clear-headed but scowling. Viola, who had been sat in the waiting room, reading the Times, hopped down and approached the princess with watchful eyes. Are you all right, Gwen? I'm fine. I need bed. Let's get you home, then. Back in Gwendolyn's room, whilst she was undressed and putting in her nightgown, Viola paced around, questioning further and putting out the lamps. You're not still nervous about Sunday, are you? No. No, of, of course you are. How silly of me. Is your nose hurting from yesterday? Did you eat enough? That might be why you were feeling faint. That or... or a concussion from that crack on the floor. 
I really wish you would just... What? Viola, you wish I would what? Be happy. No, no, that's not right. I mean, I want you to be happy. But you don't have to be. I'm, I'm rubbish at this. I, sh- I should just... I should just stick to my tasks. Well, you are still my jester. Isn't it your job to make me happy? Of course. <laughs> what can I do for you, princess? I'd like a story, please. You want us to finish Pride and Prejudice? Tempting, but I think... Not tonight. Journey to the center of the earth. Perfect. All right. Get settled in. Viola moved to the bookshelf and glanced back at Gwendolyn, sat in her bed. All cats but Sebastian shooed away. The girl had such a forlorn look in her eye. Just one more week, Viola thought. One more week until what? The same exact situation, only with a crown far heavier upon her brow. After she had read for an hour with Gwen, the girl's eyelids drooped and she fell into a slumber. Hmm. Viola fondly stroked her hair and adjusted the quilt. And before she had realized she was doing so, had prepared a moderately powerful sleep spell to nudge the girl far down into a dreamless healing rest. Viola held her hand out, her fingers tingling inches from the princess's face, before slowly drawing it back in. Despite having done this many times in the past, during Gwen's most troubled nights, this evening it no longer felt right. Viola turned back to her newspaper, spreading the human-scaled sheet out across her own bed and settling in for the night, mug of cocoa in hand. Her eye fell on the report of a brazen daylight coach robbery of the Marquis of Chiswick, and she tutted to herself. Things would surely be better in the morning. have been listening to The Princess Thieves, written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. The Black Shuck, performed by James Batchelor. Mortimer, performed by Sharon Shaw. Simon, performed by Paul Davis. Oberon, performed by Matt Wardle. Viola, performed by Loretta Saylor. Captain Baltus, performed by Spencer Lieb. Princess Gwendolyn, performed by Theo Lee. Archduke, Coriolanus, and Robin, performed by Alex Shaw. Evans, performed by Pascal Dooley. Ajax, performed by Alistair Stewart. Dr. Marcus, performed by Matt Ramsey. The Princess Thieves theme was Arrival by I. Sazanoff of Shockwave Sound. Rapture and Welcome to Chaos, composed and performed by Ross Bugden. Dance of Questionable Tuning, Moorland, Heavy Heart, Simon Says Don't, and Angevin, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. Check out Ross Bugden's YouTube channel for his fantastic compositions. He is as talented as he is generous with his work. James Batchelor hosts the Bond and Beyond podcast for all your 007 needs. Paul Davis hosts the Retro Asylum podcast. 
if you're like everyone I know and you love old video games. And Alistair Stewart does so many things, it makes more sense to just follow him on Twitter, at Alistair Stewart. That way you can catch all the wise and fascinating things he says and use that as a hub to his various podcasts and articles. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Datchler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. And the correct pronunciation of Yorkshire is Yorkshire, Chiswick is still Chiswick, and the Thames is, of course, the River Thames. And I actually know somebody American who pronounced it like that. I won't tell you her name, but it rhymes with Chlorine Goley. I love your voice, Chlorine, but you need to brush up on your British. <laughs> <laughs>